Welcome to the America's 360 podcast. Get the inside scoop and the outside perspective on the latest developments from Canada, Latin America, and everywhere in between. America's 360 is a production of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. I'm your host, Bruna Santos. The people of Brazil have spoken and former President Lula is back. Um, we know the second round of the presidential election was held on October 30, and after a very tight race, the tightest election in the Brazilian history, Lula defeated the incumbent Jair Bolsonaro by 2 million votes margin. So to discuss that, the effects of that in the internal and external politics, and also how it may or may not impact Brazil and the region, and perhaps the world, I have here very special guests. Uh, we will analyze uh, all these matters in a roundtable of experts. I have the pleasure to have them here, and I have the pleasure also to count with them as Brazil Institute Fellows. So I have Raoni Rajon, who is a professor at the Federal University of Minas Gerais, Daniela Campelo, a professor at the Getulio Vargas Foundation. Luisa Duarte, American University Research Fellow and also a journalist, and Cesar Zucco, who is also a professor at the Getulio Vargas Foundation. Welcome, you all. So, I will start with you, Daniela, and, uh, well, it was the most bitterly fought election in the Brazilian history, and I think that we all can say that democracy was the winner, but I would like you to talk a little bit about what was what were, were the forces playing behind the, the campaign? We saw Bolsonaro using the state machine in his favor. We saw Lula also like working really hard to get uh, to get together a very broad coalition of business people, of politicians, of former rivals, and we also saw um, we see actually the expectation of the first year of government uh, for Lula to be someone of a very tight, some uh, one of a very tight budget. So I would love to, to hear your thoughts about it and also to hear your general um, ideas about the election results. Hi, Verna. Thank you so much. Happy to be here again at the America's 360 after a couple of months. Uh, so let me start. I, I wanted to, to make it clear for those who are uh, listening to us from abroad that uh, this election was a very special election in Brazil and was one in which um, we maybe the future is not, not even going to be classified as a free and fair election. And I say that for three reasons. The first one is that it's the use of the machine that you mentioned. And just to give uh, uh, people the idea of what happened in Brazil, Brazil was declared in a state of emergency after the invasion of Ukraine. And thanks to this state of, inv- in, uh, of uh, emergency, the all the controls that we used to have uh, in terms of like preventing uh, presidents from using expenditures right before the election to boost their chances of winning, uh, they were lifted. And then what happens is we saw uh, an amount that is, it's been uh, considered, nobody knows exactly how much, but it was around like $5 billion were spent in three months in cash transfers to the poor. 
so this had a very strong effect in the popularity of Bolsonaro, who was disapproved by more than 50% of the population and suddenly became, uh, the, this approval fell very dramatically. The second factor was that there are um, claims of very organized and structured vote buying and uh, and the claims of harassment of workers by employees, of uh, uh, people of faith by uh, their religious leaders. So this happened in this election to a level that was never seen before. And the third event that happened, and I think that matters a lot, was that in the day of the election, there were more than 500 interventions in traffic. Uh, which meant that people were removed from public transportation. They were they had to show their uh, documentation, and this slowed down and eventually prevented some of them uh, from reaching the the vote station. So this was uh, unfair in many ways. Lula won uh, by a very tiny margin in the end, but uh, my impression is that if this was not the case. Brazil would be in a very serious conflict right now, and we'd be going the path, following the path of like Venezuela and Hungary and other uh, autocracies. So this is very uh, serious. The good news is that uh, I believe that the broad coalition that supported Lula during the election is going to be the broad coalition who's going to govern uh, the country. And I remember in past episodes, people were discussing whether the Lula from 89 or 2002 would be there. I think it's going to be a very moderate Lula, centrist Lula, opening up for all sorts of uh, policymakers from all um, ideologies. And that's a very good uh, news for us. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I got the sense that, um, for example, Lacey Hoffman, who is PT's president, the Workers' Party president, she said in one speech, this is not going to be a PT government. This is going to be a, a broad coalition government. But uh, there is a saying I really like, which is uh, winning is hard, but governing is even harder. And we know that in Brazil, more than ever, we need Congress to govern, right? So we want to hear your thoughts, says that also about what are the governability concerns for Lula? How hard it's going to be? Is it possible to change the structures of power as soon as we get there and get the control, more control over the budget again. What are your thoughts? And please, please draw this picture for the audience. Lula will probably have to rewrite the manual of how to work with Congress. Um, so obviously there's an emergency situation in several concrete policy areas, but in order to get anything done, he has to work with Congress. And um, we do while I do expect a return to a more consensual and dull way of doing politics than what we had over the last years, the fact is that Lula will be facing a much more hostile environment than what he faced when he took office last time. And why do I say that? Uh, political polarization inside the Congress, which had already been increasing over the last three legislatures, we have indicators of that, increased even further with the last election. The center parties have essentially emptied, you know, the center has emptied. The, the center parties have become much smaller and the right of center parties, including extreme right, have increased. And Lula being on the left is relatively much further away uh, from the average or the median congressman than even he was back in 2002. Now, having said all that, which is the doomsday scenario, uh, I'll just add that the left and uh, Lula's core coalition does not have 171 legislators, which is would be the magic number to prevent an impeachment, for instance. You know, we're talking about impeachment in as a hypothetical here, but uh, uh, it, is a, it is a pending threat uh, against the government, even though he hasn't done anything yet, right? But uh, so, so that's the bad scenario. Now, the good scenario is that Lula is a very skilled politician. He did assemble a pre 
uh, electoral coalition, electoral one that was fairly wide. Uh, in the second round, he brought in other forces. Uh, he is looking for uh, 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 technocrats uh, that could play to the center, center-right to form his government. And the right-of-center parties in Brazil were never hyper-ideological before the current government. So we do have an expectation that will be, they will go back to being the run-of-the-mill type of Brazilian conservative, which grant, you know, conservative in many ways, but not radically, ideologically, uh, and militantly opposed to the government. So Lula, we expect, will bring in um, a large chunk of Congress. Uh, it won't be easy. It won't necessarily be cheap. But it, and the, the, the result will mean that it will not be an extreme left or even a central left government. We're looking at a very moderate government just by the constraints he's facing. That said, there are a couple of key developments to watch, alluding to what you mentioned earlier, Bruna. One, I think the first key development to watch is the election or the elections of President of the House and President of the Senate, uh, which are the first thing that happens when the new Congress convenes in early February. But, you know, people are already jockeying around for the positions. Uh, um, the likely uh, current holders are likely to are, have a great chance of being the future holders. But a bad move in this election could actually doom uh, Lula's entire agenda moving forward. So we have to keep an eye to see what's going to happen on that. The second key development to watch is what's going to happen with the budgetary procedures that were modified over the last three years that you, you mentioned. Over the last three years, Congress has taken on much more uh, prerogatives than it used to have. It has done so without scrutiny. So a lot, of the, a lot of the budget is now decided literally in secret or with much more difficult access by the population, by the opposition, by anybody else, and by the media. Uh, Lula has campaigned against this, but the sitting Congress wants this to continue so they can allocate resources as they will. So this will be another interesting fo a point of negotiation, which is already happening and will probably be decided uh, also by the start of next uh, the next legislature. So I think these two key, key issues will determine maybe the fate of uh, any, any of this uh, concrete policy agenda that Lula might have. Yeah, when this one specific follow-up says, I'm curious, when you say it's not going to be cheap, what exactly you mean it's possible? Is it possible to see Mensalão, the type of like buying support directly by sending pics or direct payments? Yeah, How I, you? I doubt that we'll have a Mensalão because the Mensalão was tried and um, might have worked politically for a while, but it backfired immensely afterwards. Right? Uh, Mensalão was essentially, you know, was allegedly a, a story in which the government. Uh, uh, past resources under the table to politicians. Now, the current secret budget was another different type of solution for the same problem, right? Which is, how does the president work with Congress, uh, a Congress that is very interested in particularly particular benefits to their home constituents or their funders or their campaign financiers, uh, and less interested in policy, and a central government that's interested in policy. So there's a quid pro quo here that will be necessary. Uh, I expect Lula to come up with a different arrangement. He might have to cede space officially in government. He might have to, uh, to give uh, legislative space. He might have to change support to some groups uh, at the state level, uh, throw around his weight uh, uh, to help the careers of certain politicians in their own states. And, but that's why I mentioned he might have to rewrite the handbook of executive legislative relations because he will need to bring them on board. And we know that Congress was elected by the population as much as the president was. And many, many congressmen are very interested in obtaining very specific benefits or very concrete uh, uh, budget lines, right? So finding a way, this will be the key institutional arrangement necessary. Well, I do expect that the 
secret budget, though, will be would be modified, because this has been uh, uh, the current government's uh, mode of behavior, and Lula has already campaigned against it. So I expect that to be thrown out and something else to be put in place. We don't know yet what. Yeah, we don't know yet what, and I'm looking forward to it also. But let's see if there is someone who can like rewrite a playbook to negotiate with Congress, it's Lula. So I think it's he's a very skilled politician, definitely. And he has also like uh, talked a lot about his priorities and um, some of his priorities, of course. Uh, and one of them, and it was really clear in that really good speech, I think, his victory speech was really like a statesman speech. And I think that um, he mentioned one phrase I love, which is somehow like Brazil is back, the world miss, miss Brazil. And uh, he mentions, he, it seems like he was literally turning uh, back the page of um, the climate skepticism that we saw of Bolsonaro and uh, the, all these years of accelerating the destruction of the Amazon rain, rainforest. And I want to hear from you, Haoni, who is an expert on this matter. And uh, what do you think are going to be like the main priorities for Lula in terms of climate diplomacy and in terms of the Amazon and how he's going to get it done? Because I saw also people saying that maybe it's going to be difficult to get it done because of budgetary constraints. So how do you see Lula playing this? Yeah, thanks, Bruna. Um, yeah, it's going to be a major challenge, and and actually, just to to, to start off, for the first time in in Brazil's history, the environmental agenda has been an important topic of the elections. And and interesting that at some point, even Bolsonaro tried to boost his, you know, in in, in, in actually uh, unexisting uh, environmental credentials by you know torturing some numbers towards his own narrative as if he was you know, a big environmental protector. Uh, and so definitely that's something new. And that's, so we, we have uh, environmental issues reaching a total new height within uh, Brazil's political discussion. But of course, that's that's not going to be enough. Um, so what to expect? I mean, first, I think we, we should expect having a strong minister of environment, uh, someone who's, who's highly respected, uh, maybe, you know, a, a politician, and we have different names coming up. For instance, uh, we, we can think here of Handolfi, who's someone from the Amazon, who's someone who, who has strong connections also to the environmental agenda, who, who does not hold at the moment a, a place in office because he did not run uh, for senator again. Uh, and also you, you have Alessandro Molon from Rio, who lost the run for, for senator, who also has strong connections to the environment and is also someone who might be willing or, or that the Workers' Party might be willing to give some visibility. Uh, so I'm not really worried about, or even, sorry, uh, you might see a return of, of, of either Marina Silva or even Isabella Teixeira as Minister of, of Environment. All of them are very good options. Uh, so I'm not really concerned so much about who is going to be the next Minister of, of Environment because I'm sure they're, they're going to walk in and do a good job. There's going to be a, an opening towards civil society and NGOs. What really, really worries me, who's going to be the next Minister of Agriculture? Because that that's, that's where we're going to see uh, uh, um, basically this... Uh, uh, this let, let's say 
this tug of war between the environmental sector and the agricultural sector. Because, I mean, even in the, in the best moments of Marina Silva and, and Isabella Teixeira, we had this process going on. And so you had this, you know, this little dance where the environmental sector would do two steps forward and then the agro would do a step back and then you would have that, you know, backs and forths and, 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 and balances and, and checks and balances. But um, we don't have time for that, really. You know, the damage done by Bolsonaro was so great that unless we have some Someone from the agricultural sector taking up the Minister of Agriculture and really work, you know, together in an integrated way with the Ministry of Environment, we're not going to see the first station going down in the speed we need. Uh, and just, you know, to, to give uh, an idea how, how bad we already are, um, all the deforestation that has been done from August onward is already going to accounted. So it's already part of the results of, of Lula's government, because that's going to be uh, uh, basically accounted for uh, the, the, the 2023 deforestation results that uh, uh, which goes from from uh, August to July 2023 and actually are going to be, uh, be probably uh, 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 published just before the COP next year. So around November, December, that's usually uh, the schedule. And so we are looking at bad numbers here, probably worse than we had this year. And then you had also this, this whole issue that deforestation take, takes place uh, uh, with a lot of effort, a lot of capital. Uh, and so even for 2024, we might not have a positive result. So uh, it, it, it's really about, you know, changing the course of this huge transatlantic as it moves uh, uh, towards, you know, an iceberg and, and doing that in a short time and doing that with a lot of effort. So I think that's, you know, one of the main challenges here in terms of delivering the kinds of results we need to then be able to change Brazil's perception in climate negotiations. Uh, because uh, Salas, for instance, wanted to sell carbon credits, which are basically results from reduced uh, emissions and from reduced deforestation. But before selling something, before actually wanting something in return, you must produce results. And so Brazil is really under a lot of pressure to produce those results right now. Yeah, I wanna. Yeah, that's really incredible. But that I, I also got the impression that yeah, the climate change and the, all the issues related to it are are like in, at the center of policy and also foreign policy. In for that, I wanna hear from. I wanna ask you, Luisa, what can we expect of Lula in terms? of regional policy, especially not only with Latin America, but also with North America. How might the regional dynamic and other Latin American states be impacted by uh, this election results? I think the Lula's wins were really well received uh, internationally as a preparation ongoing editorials from main uh, prominent newspapers already uh, indicating that they had the preference for uh, for Lula, um, that they would support, uh, indicating that Lula was the the, the favorite in, in Brazil. Lula is respected respected abroad. He's he's a veteran in the international scene, and his his know and his team is is working on those bridges abroad for years, building relationship with Europe, but not only and. Uh, that counts. I think just the fact that Bolsonaro is no longer in the government is already a window of opportunity to Brazil to reset uh, international relations, uh, to reset its foreign policy and reorient it to, to become a critical player in the, in the global agenda. And 
with Latin America, we saw this uh, this the the new pink tie that not necessarily uh, indicated ideological alignment, but but maybe just a rejection rejection of these governments that are um, in power and in a situation of socioeconomic impact after the pandemic. Um, so a very different scenario from the 2000, uh, very different international context with uh, China, Latin America, Hillary, and uh, the war in Ukraine. But uh, in, in regarding to, to the region, to Latin America, Lula indicated during the campaign and also in this uh, uh, powerful victory speech that he uh, will uh, reinforce uh, regional integration that we will be that he wants a Brazil, a Brazil that's more active in the international scene and he mentioned Mercosul uh, Unasul CELAC as forums to um, to achieve that and uh, but we I think we also in that case need we need to see who will be um, the, the minister and how this will play out. We we also know that there is a, a desire of re-engage with BRICS, um, but yeah, we we will probably remain with uh, certain limitations. Um, I I think the the word for this government, the way I see, is reconstruction. That we are much more trying to recover what was destroyed in the past years than arriving with new ideas and new projects and new policies. So it's very much uh, trying to uh, contain the damage that was done in the previous years. And this also goes to to the foreign policy. I think it will be a work to. Um, reconquer trust, international trust, and open again doors that were closed and recover the Brazil image that never been in that low. I don't know. I I live abroad for 15 years and falling uh, falling foreign policy in Brazil um, engagements abroad and the amount of negative um, pieces about Brazil during uh, Bolsonaro years are exponential. Uh, Bruna, mention something about foreign policy. I think that there are many issues like the EU-Mercosur relationship, like the fine line between China and the U.S. and your shoring. But I think in, in the case of Venezuela, uh, I think I believe that Lula is in a very good position to lead the discussion of redemocratization. Lula was always very pushed into uh, confronting Venezuela. He never did. But I think that now is very much in favor of him, and he could be a big, a major player in mediating the the return to democracy in Venezuela, which is a big foreign policy goal, I guess, in, in the region. That's that's great. That's a great comment. Yeah, I mean, if we see that potential, it's it's great. Lula has always been like uh, some sort of coordinator, mediator between also interests and countries. So I want to hear uh, also maybe from you, Cesar, what are other priorities in terms of policymaking for Lula um, in terms of like what's topping his list right now on January 1st? This this list could be potentially go on and on. And I'm sure uh, Raoni, Daniela and, Lu- and Luisa would also add uh, 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 
priorities to the list. I just want to mention social policy for a very specific reason. It was one of the biggest achievements of Lula's first term, the Bolsa Familia and all Cadastro Unico and all the social assistance program. And since the pandemic, discussion around social policy has been reduced to a single number, which is the value of the government's emergency and then later permanent assistance uh, check. This number is currently 600 reais. It's been a hot topic button in the election. Now, focusing on a single number like this, while very useful politically, right, it was, it was a very big to campaign topic, it hides the fact that very well-designed social programs have been dismantled over the last three years, important discussions about the goals of these programs, the targeting and evaluation have been abandoned, and this has essentially set us back one or two decades in terms of the quality of program design. So I think reconstruct, and, and there's a lot of expertise in, 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 in Lula's camp, but just being able to escape from the 600 reais discussion, the single number, back to why we need social policy, what we want it for, and how we're going to do it, is going to be be a big priority. In this one, I have a lot of faith, uh, faith that he will be able to do it because there's a lot of expertise. Uh, and, and if I can add something to Cesar, I think that's, that's going to be another fine line that Lula is going to have to walk, which is like going back to these programs that existed before and were dismantled at the same time that he will have somehow to create a new fiscal anchor and adjust the economy for the new situation that we don't know exactly how bad it is because everything is secret right now. So I think this, this if I had to say like T0 priority is going to be like how to keep these programs and at the same time, uh, make sure to, to impose some kind of austerity policy that puts the budget back to where it should be. And at the same time, deal with opposition because we have a very strong Bolsonaro opposition, Bolsonarismo is here to stay. I just want to add, when we talk about elections, I tell, I see time is running up is about disinformation when we, when Daniela, very uh, complete, complete explanation about the, the problems we facing in the election, about vote coercion, but also the disinformation environment where um, the, the election happened. Yeah, that's that's a great. There are so many like important emergent questions about it, and I'm glad that Cesar brought up like re rethinking um, those the social programs because Bolsa Familia itself was a result of a number of incremental innovations that happened over the years and different programs that were put together, and it took years for Brazil to think of how to address poverty in a more systemic perspective. So not only as cash transfers. So it's it's definitely an important issue. And Hauni, I want to hear your final thoughts. What what rep Lula is perhaps going for COP, right? What it represents and is he's gonna like tell who's gonna be the next environmental minister there? What is your expectations also about high level negotiations there in the role of Brazil? final remarks about it yeah i mean lula is going to to be at the cop and and actually most likely on the second week where when i'm going to be there as well so i'm, I'm very excited to be to follow up close from egypt how that's going to to unroll and and first of all it, it must be said it's it's kind of it's kind of unusual because the president of brazil still is bolsonaro so uh normally you would have a president and a, a recent elect president basically working on the transition and not already making statements and trying to negotiate with other sovereign nations. 
Uh, however, the situation uh, uh, in relation to, to the Bolsonaro government is so bad that uh, my sensation also talking to, to, you know, to diplomats from other countries that uh, they, they want to, you know, they really want to start the conversations as soon as possible and to restart reconstruction as soon as possible. So my uh, anticipation is that uh, Lula is going to, to, to be there and is going to be well received as he was already invited directly by the president of the COP. Uh, from Egypt, uh, which is also very uncommon, and uh, and we hope not only that he might uh, um, you know mention who's going to be the next and announce who's going to be the next uh, minister of environment, but also maybe make some interesting announcements about uh, how he intends, in concrete terms, to rebuild uh, Brazil's uh, forest conservation and climate policies. So I think that's going to be a very uh, exciting moment for for all of us. Absolutely. And we will definitely need international cooperation, the private sector, everyone on the same, like working towards the same goal. So now final. Yeah. And, and if I can say something on that, you know, Lula, uh, Lula said in his winning speech that Brazil is back. But now the question of who is going to back Brazil? <laughs> how, how, honey, let me add something. And I, I was going to ask you that before. We have the Congress, right? And the Congress, the, the, the agricultural caucus is much stronger and much wealthier than it was before in the first and second Lula government. So I think it's going to be a major um how can I say that a major resistance to these policies in the in the next government? He's going to have to negotiate with these uh, with this group very heavily. And I, don't, I really I'm I'm a little skeptical about their turn towards like green economy. We've seen the last policies that they they were trying to enact in the end of this government. They were all in the opposite direction, right? And who is actually going to decide on all that is is China. Because at the end of the day, uh, the Western countries and the United States, you know, Europe is moving towards very strong deforestation free supply chains and requirements. And that's been increasingly felt by the Brazil's agribusiness. However, they, they always have to, you know, the, the idea that they insist uh, that, you know, they can just sell more to China and then problem solved. So depending on how, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, this, uh, um, how China is going to behave in those regards, uh, then it might, you know, and if China actually accelerates its turn towards greening its supply chain as well, then Brazil would would, would be left out of options. And then at that point, uh, the agribusiness would not have much to say. They would have to comply. So I think it's it's interesting to see how it's it's not down to Lula nor nor to to, to Congress alone, but there is there is also this broader international context that that makes a lot of difference. Yeah, I agree. Talking about China, what do you think, Luisa? Is it possible with like China growing demand for soybean and all to somehow compromise both climate and agribusiness? What are your thoughts on that and how may like also the relationship between Brazil and China be? I, I hope I hope the new government will look to a very old demand um from the works party um from the Oaks Party to diversify Brazilian uh, export agenda and not be that dependent of on soya beans, and that will and that Brazil will invest in reindustrialization and and technological transfer and in a, in a bunch of other types of cooperation with a more complex cooperation with China than a cooperation that is. is almost exclusively uh, depending in 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 commodities and i think i think this is is a 
is a, is problematic is increasing depending dependency is being signalized for years and we saw some well we we already know all the challenges um uh for this government to uh, to put forward what is being promised but um i think there is um awareness at least more strong in this government to try uh, effectively to diversify a little bit. Um, and that's that's what I expected to happen. But in, from the China side, I don't think much will change. Uh, and uh, I don't think they are that close from um, com- in the next four years to completely transform their uh, demand of soybeans. I, I think they will remain uh, in this uh, relationship if it doesn't come from uh, from the Brazilian side to pressure in a more complex um, cooperation agenda. Thank you, Luiz, and thank you, everyone. We will need to leave it here. Tony, Daniela, Luisa, Cesar, thank you. We look forward to learning more from you in future episodes. You have been listening to America's 360, a podcast about the innumerable ties among the nations of the Western Hemisphere. You can subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. To learn more about our programs, please visit wilsoncenter.org. And please join us again next time for another episode of America's 360.